We won't go over, I promise. You know, sports, I've loved sports since I was young. And I learned in this world that sports is a powerful thing. People are crazy about sports. Not only in the United States of America, but every country I go to, they are nuts about sports. I don't know why, but they are. And people will do all kinds of things to see sports, to participate, or to have the best team. You know, the L.A. Lakers, even though they did lose to the Detroit Pistons last year, um, they have a fantastic team and they pay those guys money. Big money to play basketball. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar earned $5 million in 87 and 88 to play basketball. Boxing. You know, Hagler and Leonard, when they fought, $13.5 million for Hagler alone. I was working that out last night. I was up late because of jet lag, so I was figuring it out, you know. That works out in that fight to $375,000 per minute he got paid. Or he took 306 punches in that fight. That works out to $44,117 every punch. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And anything in sports, people look at it and they see it and they're interested. The Olympic Games. $300 million just for the right to put it on television. $300 million for television. You know, in the third world, we look at that and we die because we go, $300 million. You know how many lives, how many people can be medicated, can be helped? $300 million. But that's not what people are interested in. Sports they're interested in. It's amazing. And the more I look at it, the more I see that sports can be something that's good or it can be something that's bad. If you see the Olympics in 1984, when China came through the tunnel for the first time in 40 years to enter the Olympics, everybody in the stadium, L.A., stood up and gave them a standing ovation. It was the most exciting time. They came into that for the first time in 40 years to participate in the Olympics with 140 other countries. That's what sports can be used for good. The uniting of countries at least for one time to be peaceful and to compete and to make friendships because of sport. But that same Olympics can be used for bad reasons. In Munich, when the, the PLO went inside the camp and killed those Israeli athletes, they used the Olympics for the wrong reason. They used sports for the wrong reason. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. When the United States of America boycotted the Olympics and all the other countries boycotted with them. Then the next year, the next four years later, what does Russia do? They boycott the Olympics because we boycotted them. And they told all the countries that were aligned with them, don't come. I'm not a politician, but I know sports can be used better than that. And I love sports. But I hate it when it's used for the wrong reason. And I don't mind. I don't mind that a guy makes millions of dollars to play a sport. That doesn't bother me so much. What bothers me is when people just use sports not only to make money but to serve themselves. And to put themselves up on a pedestal and say, look at me all the time. Because they're missing out on what sports could really be used for. And we as Christians know sports could be used for the good of the gospel, for the good of the kingdom of God if we used it properly. And those who have tried have seen it. And it happens. And it makes us hurt all the more when we see an athlete comes to Christ and then he uses it for the right thing. And we see another athlete use it and use it and abuse it. 
the privilege that they have and the abilities that they have. You know, sports was good to me, I have to admit. I grew up in the inner city of Detroit in the streets, and I learned how to pick a lock and how to break into a car, how to pick a guy's pocket. And I spent a lot of time in the streets, and I knew, now that I look back, I know where I was headed. I was headed to some, some prison somewhere, some jail somewhere, because all my time was spent on the street. And one man took the time to tell me one time, Tom, come on into the gym. We need another player. We'd like you to play a little sport, basketball. So I went in and I started to play. And it was fun. Fun and legal. <laughs> so I started playing. Man, I tell you, I couldn't get enough. I started to play more and more and more. Pretty soon, one day, got my name in the paper. Just a little place in the Detroit News, back of the sports section. Tom Randall, eight points. Okay. I felt great. I mean, I'll never forget that because I told, went home, I showed my dad and my mom, all my friends. I said, that's me, right there in the newspaper, Detroit News. And after that, I said, let me get my name in that paper more often. And I spent more time playing this basketball. And sport took me off the street. And at least something constructive that I could do to keep me out of that trouble. And so I fell in love with sports. And I started to spend all my time doing it. You know, in my family, no one had graduated from high school. My parents, my older brothers and sisters, a lot of my relatives. And I probably wouldn't have either. But you know something? You've got to have this grade point level to play basketball. And I said, well, if you've got to have that, I've got to have it. And so I kept this grade point average so I could play basketball. And doggone it, I graduated from high school. And my dad, he was so excited. He not only was excited for me, he said, you know, I could like this sport too. <laughs> and I get a phone call. Not a lot of phone calls, but this one in particular that was interested to me by a college. And in his college, they said, we'd like you to come to our college and play basketball. I said, college? Yeah. And they said, his wife said, I can't afford college. I said, no, you don't understand. We'll give you a scholarship. Go to our college. You should play basketball. And my dad didn't believe it either. <laughs> but he said, if they're willing to believe it, you just go there. <laughs> you know, my dad worked in a factory for 40 years, and this guy offers me $20,000 worth of education if I can shoot a basketball well. People are crazy about sports, aren't they? And I went to the school to play basketball. And my head coach, who's now the assistant coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dick Helm, I met this guy and he was different. This guy was different. And he loved sports, but he always tried to use it for something good. You know what he'd tell me, Tom, it's not, it's not what you can get out of it. It's what, what good can be used of it for the glory of God. And I looked at him and I said, you have to be out of your mind. I thought, all the money to be made, I just got a free education. And he's thinking about what he could use sports for. And I started watching this guy closely, Coach Helm. You know, he cared for me like nobody else cared for me. Most people cared for me because I could score 31 points a game. And that was big news. But this guy, he didn't care how many points I scored a game. He genuinely loved me and cared for me, year in and year out. And even after he left and went another way and I left and went another way, all these years we've remained just so close. Because this guy had Christian love in his, in his life, in his heart. And I hadn't recognized that before. We played a game in Chicago, and uh, just outside of Chicago, and I had a good night. Everything was going good. The ball was going in every time. 
and 49 points at the end of the game. And we won by one and everybody was jumping up and down and excited. And uh, the guy who says over the loudspeaker, Tom Reno has just set the stadium record for 49 points. And man, I felt so proud. I was excited and the coach was excited and the cheerleaders were excited and the fans were excited. <laughs> and I thought, this is, this is great. Then we left and we got on the bus and we went back to the college and I went into my dormitory. And I got into my dormitory and I sat down. I was a senior at this time. And I had all these awards and all this thing through college. And this happened to me and I was sitting there and this feeling just gone. And I couldn't believe it, you know. An hour and a half or two hours earlier, I was on top of the world. And all of a sudden, I was alone in my dormitory, and that's what I was, alone and lonely. And I said to myself, if that's not going to make me happy, when am I ever going to be happy? And I went to my coach, and I said, Coach, I said, I got home last night, and I felt really alone. And I said, I want to change my life. I want to have what you have. And so my coach prayed with me in the basement of his home and I asked Christ to take control of my life and I want to tell you my life changed everything that I thought about the way I thought about it changed and Roger was kind and saying I could have maybe went to the NBA I don't think so you know but that's nice to say and it didn't matter anyway because God changed my way of thinking and I wanted to do something with my life for Jesus Christ if you can do something for Jesus Christ I said I want to do it I want to really be a Christian and so I started asking myself, what can I do? The only problem is, what does an athlete do? And the only thing I thought of was, I grew up Catholic. I said, man, I do not want to become a priest. <laughs> In fact, I didn't want to become a pastor. I didn't, none of that, I didn't want to go to Bible school. None of that struck me right away. And I just thought, but what can I do? Because I don't have this education and I don't know anything about being a pastor. I don't know anything. But I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in some way. And I want to share with you the verses that God took me to in 2 Kings, if you have your Bible with you, chapter 4. The Lord took me to these verses. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now I'm reading from the Living Bible. Sorry about that. It's easier for me to read and for my Filipino friends to understand. It's just a paraphrase. If there's any problem with my theology, by the way, you just talk to Roger Oswald. He's the one who invited me here. <laughs> it says in chapter 4, One day the wife of one of the seminary students came to Elisha to tell him of her husband's death. He was a man who had loved God, she said, but he had owed some money when he died, and now the creditor was demanding it back. If she didn't pay, he said he would take her two sons as his slaves. You know, this lady was in trouble. Because she had two sons, her, her husband had died and he was a seminary student, he was a godly man. And she said what a lot of us would say, hey, don't I deserve something here? Can't I get some compensation? I mean, my man, my husband served you loyally. Can't you do anything? And who does she go to? Elisha, or you say here, Elisha. She went to Elisha and she said, hey, you have to do something. Whenever we have a major problem, usually the person we go to, we go to the pastor or the person we think is closest to God. You know, hey, you got to solve this for me. And this guy, he did something that was really good. This prophet, you know what he said to her? In the Living Bible, it says this. It says, what should I do? In other words, what do you want me to do? Well, you're supposed to have all the answers. Now, he does an interesting thing with this lady. He says, how much food do you have in the house? Or what do you have? 
And the lady said, listen, if I had anything, I wouldn't be talking to you because I would sell it and pay my debts and my sons would be saved. Because at that time in the Jewish law, it was right for this guy to take the sons because of the debt. And so she was upset. She didn't know what to say. And the prophet says, are you sure you don't have anything? And she said, well, no, I don't have anything I can think of. He said, any little thing that you have that's valuable to you. And she remembered and she said, yeah, I have one little thing. A jar of olive oil, she replied. Small jar, jar of olive oil. That's all she had. So he said, you're going to give that to God. He said, what I want you to do, borrow many pots and pans from your friends and neighbors. Go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Then pour the olive oil from your jar into the pots and pans, setting them aside as they are filled. So she did. You know, that's what's great. The prophet told her, hey, you have to act on your faith. Do you have the faith to act this out? In other words, do you have the faith to trust God and not just trust me? And the lady said, I will. And she went into her house and she told her sons, get all these vessels and all these pots. And they did and they brought them in front of her in the house and they closed the doors like the prophet said. And she got that one little jar of oil from the shelf and she went down and she started to pour it. And what's fantastic about this, I keep thinking back, back to the story. And even when I first came to Christ and I was reading this, I thought to myself, this is crazy. This is really crazy. How can this oil be multiplied? And yet when the lady put the oil in there, and she started to pour it into the other pot. I'm sure that the pot that was below her on the ground was probably bigger than the one she was pouring from. And when she started to get far along and she looked at this pot full, what do you think she felt? Man, that's what I want to feel. She's going like this, you know. Because <laughs> it's still coming out of here. And so she says, well, great. So she transfers to the next one. And then she's, the farther she's going, the more excited she's getting. So she goes on and on and on. And then about halfway through, her mind is really going now. Because she's seen this miracle before her eyes and she says, Oh no, I've made a big mistake. You know what her mistake was. Just like any American would say, that's what she thought. I should have got more pots. <laughs> more is better. I should have got more pots, you know. And she got to the end and she said, Quick boys, run and get some more. Because there's going to be more oil. And the boy said, Hey, Mama, we went and got all the pots we could. There's no more. And when he got to the end, what happened? Stopped. Why? Because God doesn't waste anything. Now, if there had been more pots, there had been more oil. I believe that. I also believe the story is true. God made a miracle in this lady's life. Very evident. She sold all of the oil, paid her debts, had her sons, and she lived. She lived with an incredible story to tell, which is written in the scripture for us. And boy, that story spoke to me. You know why? Because I said to God, what can I do? And I looked at this and I said, man, I'm just like this lady. I'm asking the prophet, what can I do? I'm asking somebody, what can I do? And I'm thinking, maybe I can use sports. Because for a while, I was thinking what I can't do. I can't be a priest or a pastor and I don't have a Bible education. I don't know what I can do. And God spoke to me and says, just give me what you have. What are you worried about you don't have? Give me what you have. So I said, I got this basketball that I can play. At that time, I could play. And I said, I'll give you that. And the draft came up. And I got a phone call from California. And they said, listen, Tom, we heard that you became a Christian. And I said, yeah, that's true. And they said, you're third in the nation in scoring this year. And I said, that's also true. They said, how would you like to make a trip for the Lord Jesus Christ? And I said, yeah, tell me about it. And they said, we're going to go to Taiwan. And we're going to play the professional national teams. But we're taking a group of Christian men who play basketball. We want you to come. 
And I said, yeah. They said, yeah, what? I said, yeah, I'll come. That's, that's the answer to my prayer. I want to go there. So we went off to Taiwan. I was about Christian four months when this happened. And I went off with this team of Christian guys to Taiwan. I was still trying to learn to control my language, you know? And here I was on this Christian team. I'm telling you, it's fantastic for me. It was a bit of a headache for them at first. <laughs> we got into Taiwan, Taipei City, man. Every time I got my chance in front of a crowd, I wanted to give my testimony. You know, just small crowds of people at games and stuff. And then the crowd started to get bigger and I started getting more nervous. And then one day we're in Taipei City. We're playing the national team on television. And the place is packed. There's 13,000 Chinese in Taipei Stadium. And I'm in the locker room just like any good athlete getting nervous and running back and forth to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I got to get up. I get ready for this game and do my best. And the coach comes up to me and says, Tom, we got a great opportunity. I said, yeah, I'm going to be ready, coach. He said, no, no, not the game. He said, the Chinese have been excited that we're here. He said, at halftime, they've invited us to get up and the guys are going to sing a song. And I said, well, if they can take it, I can take it. <laughs> and he said, not only that, he said, but they want one of the players to speak about where he comes from in the States and a little bit about his background and things. And I said, oh, that's nice. And he said, yeah. So we thought that player could give a quick two-minute testimony and we'll have a Chinese interpreter to tr translate it. And I said, that's a great idea. And he said, and we decided that you're going to be the one. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not a great idea. And I want to tell you, oh, he was upset. And I said, coach, I've been a Christian four months. These guys have been Christians at home. Lots of them all their lives. You give them a chance. And he said, no, Tom, your testimony is fresh. You mean it. It comes from your heart. We want you to do it. And I said, well, coach, he said, Tom, I already decided. And he turned and walked out of the house. So the All-American with 31-point average went out the first half and got two points. Because the basket was about that big. All I could think about was halftime. So I got up at halftime. That microphone, nervous, just like I am before you. And I said to these people in two minutes, where I came from, what basketball had done for me, but what was the most important thing in my life and how God had changed my life through Jesus Christ. That was, that was about it. I went and sat down, played the second half, and I was sitting on the bench, and all of a sudden these Chinese start to come down from the crowd. So I get the interpreter over there, and they come up to me. I'm on the end of the bench, and they come up to me and say, Ni hao ma, Mr. Tan. They call you Mr. by your first name all the time in China and Taiwan. Ni hao ma, Mr. Tan. Ni hao ma. He said, he said uh, listen, we saw you have one of those Chinese Bibles there in your bag. And I said, yeah, I have 50 of them. And <laughs> you got to go prepared. Little Chinese Bible in the script. And they said, could I have one of those? And I said, sure. How many people come up to you in America and ask you for a Bible? I said, you can have as many as I gave them one. And the next person says, read it also. And the next person said, what you said is very interesting. May I investigate? Yeah, I'll give them another one. <laughs> In 20 minutes, my 50 Bibles were gone. You know, it was a very simple thing that happened. But the blessing it meant in my life, because when I was out of Bibles and the next guy came up and I said, I don't have any more, it was another changing point in my life. Because I told the Lord, I will never run out of Bibles again. God willing, I'll always have a Bible when somebody needs a Bible from me in any country that I go to. And he's honored that. He's provided that for me. And one more guy came up and he said, Mr. Tom. I said, yes, he said, very good. Ding hao, your speech at halftime. I said, well, thank you. He said, I'm a Christian. And I said, great. And he said, listen, 
Do you think you could go and speak like that at another place? I mean, there were 13,000 there. I said, hey, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know how it gets. You say, oh, I can do that, yeah. And he said, good, we're going to pick you up at your hotel in the morning and take you out. And I said, okay, I'll wait for you. So we went home that, lap, that night and watched the tape delay on television, had a great time. The next morning, woke up, and here comes this guy who picks me up. Takes me way out into the country, several hours into the country, and I'm starting to get nervous. Because I'm wondering, where are we going? Let me get out there, and there's this big camp, I mean a prison-like. It's got big walls and barbed wire and everything around it. And I said, oh, we're going to a jail. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's all right, I can deal with that. I, I've been in a jail before. Uh, just visiting. <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. And I said, I can go in there. I'll just take my time. And then we got around to the front. There's a big sign on the front that said, Leprosarium. Now, I'm a basketball player, so I started to break that down real quick. And when I got down to leper, I knew I was in big trouble. And I said, oh, no. And he saw the look on my face, my Chinese friend. He said, Mr. Tom, may I remind you? that you said you would speak anywhere. Don't ever be prideful as a Christian, I tell you what, because it'll catch up with you. And I thought, ah, oh. okay. Because the most important thing to a Chinese is your word. Very important to the Chinese. And I said, okay. I said, but are you going in with me? He says, I'm going in with you. And so we went in. But I tell you, when I went in, I had my hands in the pocket. <laughs> and I was feeling like this because I'd never been in a place like that. And I knew nothing about that coming from Detroit. And I thought, what if I touched something that they touched, you know? And I touched them. And I got in this place and they put me in front of a crowd, about 150 lepers. And I started to look down at these lepers and I was scared. And I started to give my testimony, but I, I'm sure I wasn't joyful as I should have been. But one thing that really struck me, I looked down and I saw the faces of all of these lepers. And some of them had no noses, no ears, no hands, no feet. They all had different progressions of, of this disease, leprosy. And I looked into it, but the thing that I saw above that was that most of the people in there had these huge grins on their face. They were looking up at me and smiling. I mean, they had this joy and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And I said to them, I didn't say to them, I just said to myself, I said, how can these people be smiling? If I was in that position, in that condition, could I have that joy? And I went out. And when I went out the place, I said, we want you to meet one more guy. Mr. Tom, I said, sure. And they said, he's the most important man in this place. I said, well, I got to meet him then. So up comes this little bitty Chinese guy, about that tall. And I said, ni hao man. He said, ni hao man, Mr. Tom. And this fella didn't have any feet, no hands, no ears or nose. But I tell you what he had. He's got this unbelievable grin. And he was looking up at me, man, the joy that came out of his face. And he said, Mr. Tom, I want you to know I pray for you every day you're in Taiwan. And I said, but Mr. Tsai, I've never met you. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, I know you. He said, I watched the game on TV last night. He said, Mr. Tom, your first half. Boo <laughs> He said, but Mr. Tom, your halftime, what you said, that's the truth. Ding Hong Yun. And I said, thank you. And he said, I'm a Christian. We're all Christians in this place. We know the joy of Jesus Christ. And man, I was stunned. And this guy, I mean, it was like somebody lit a fire in his heart and it just came out at you. You know, I know how Moses must have looked because he had this light in his face. And I said, I'd like to know that joy. He said, you have it. You just don't have the same joy we have because you haven't overcome these things. 
But the joy is there. Always use it. Don't be ashamed of what you see. He said, it's not on the outside that counts. It's what's on the inside. And he said, you know, Tom, and he said this right to me. He said, Tom, God isn't asking us to give what we don't have. Only what we have. He said, you just give what you have. I couldn't believe it. He quoted this to me. And I looked at him. I said, well, Mr. Tsai, I will remember that. And he reached out and shook my hand. Of course, he didn't have any hands, so what he did, he reached out with his wrist, shook my hands with his wrist, put him back under with his crutches, and he said, Mr. Tom, I'm going to pray for you, but you remember something. He said, I've been in this place for 27 years, 25 as a Christian. He says, you can go anywhere in the world you want to because of what God's given you an ability. You use it to tell people about the most precious thing in the world, which is Jesus Christ. And I'll stay here and I'll pray for you and I'll do what I can in this place. But don't forget your privilege. And I said, okay. I went down the bus. Got in the bus, started driving off. I thought to myself, sport all my life. I get everything I want out of sport. And this guy taught me that, man, it's not what you get out of it. It's what you give into it. It's only useful for what God can use it for. That's where the blessing is. And I was in the bus and I was feeling terrible. And the Chinese friend come up to me, Mr. Tom, don't feel bad. And I said, hey, didn't you see what I saw? And he said, Mr. Tom, Mr. Tsai is the number one woodcarver in Taiwan. And I said, you missed it because I said he didn't have any hands. And he said, no, Mr. Tom, you don't understand. He has a gift God gave him. And what Mr. Tsai thinks here, he can put on wood. So what they do is they take these long, sharp knives and they tie them to his wrist like this. And he gets out there and he starts to carve. And he carves and he carves. And he can make chess pieces, furniture, statues. You just ask him and he can make it. Give him a picture. He can put it here and put it there. And he said, people all over the world order wood carvings from Mr. Tsai. And the money that comes in for those wood carvings is what supports this local church, because that's what it is. They're lepers, but they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how they live here. And you know, I remembered what he said. He said, Tom, it's not what you don't have. It's what you have. The lady with the oil was worried about what she didn't have. It's what you have that God can bless. I was worried about basketball, what I didn't have. He wanted to bless what I had. And he took what this Chinese fella had and he blessed it. And hundreds of lepers in that place are blessed by it every day. And that's what we have. God can't use us unless we're ready to be a vessel. If the vessel's not there. Can he feel it? No. It has to be willing. It has to be willing to be used. And when I went to the Orient, I realized this is something God can use. And I played basketball, and Roger told you, almost several thousand games now, but every time I play, it's been an opportunity to share with somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he told you about some of the problems I have, but you know, I don't like that told so much because you get the wrong idea. Because I'm healthy. It's just that you're looking at the wrong thing that's healthy. The healthy thing in me is what God's put in my heart, not what's happened to my body. And the opportunity in sport is when you can use it and see God multiply it to see other people won. I want to finish with one short story. Just an example. In the Philippine Islands, I was playing in a, in a southern island and I'd been asked, I'd been asked by the sports writers in Manila and they said, Tom, could you come with this professional team, five professionals, to this village and put on an exhibition. We want you to do your juggling and unicycle. And I said, well, yeah. And they said, Tom, how much? What's the contract? And I said, well, no, I'll do it for free. It'd be nice to be along with the players. In my mind, I was thinking maybe I could be next to one of those pro players. And he said, oh, boy, if you did that for free, Tom, 
we, we can't thank you enough. I said, that's okay, we'll go down. And so we went down to this village and we got out and there's a fishing village and these people don't get to see a professional team or professional players. So we're playing out there and we're having a great time. At halftime, I start doing the juggling. And I mean, everyone is having a great time. They're laughing. I'm riding kids on my shoulders on the unicycle up and down the basketball court. And people are having a great time. And I told them only one thing. He said, I said, if you let me come down and I do it for free, could I speak at halftime for just 10 minutes? Tom, you can have an hour if you want. So I got up and I shared with them. This is my testimony. And if anybody wanted a Bible or a way to study the Bible, so a Bible correspondence was to come up to me after the game. That was all. And I was walking to the sideline. And as I walked over, I looked and I saw a gun come up. And I'd been living in the Philippines long enough to know with the communist insurgency and the Muslim insurgency that when a gun comes up, it's time to run. And I started to run. And I got about two steps and the, they started the fire. And I got about four more steps and I had two of the pros hanging on my arms with me. And we ran right into the church building there. And they're just, you know, they're shooting back and forth guns and somebody's thrown some grenades. And there's a little bit of a war going outside this church. And I'm sitting in the corner of this church like this and I'm wondering, what am I doing here? And these two guys are hanging on to me. One of them's name is Emma Legaspi, he's hanging on to me right here. And he said, Tom, are we going to die? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I really didn't know. I said, but I'm ready. He said, you're what? I said, I'm ready. I said, I'm scared, but I'm ready. I said, because I really told him. And I said, I'm going to pray if you don't mind. You don't have to pray with me, but I'm scared. <laughs> so I started to pray. And Emma was mumbling along with me. And so I went to Tagalog so he could understand better. And we came out. And these guys, I could hear them in the loudspeaker. They yelled to the people to go get your guns, the Home Defense League. And those that had them to push these guys out of there. And they fought for about an hour. And they pushed these communists back into the mountains. And they came back down and we were looking out there. It was quiet, you know, smoke in the air. And I said, oh, we're going to get out of here. And the guy comes up to me and no joking, he says to me, Mr. Tom, Mr. Tom, I'm sorry. He says, Tomas, please, can we finish the second half? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you, you have to be joking. He said, Tom, we never get to see a game like this. We promise they will not come back down on the mountains. <laughs> And I said, okay, all right, but then are we getting out of here? They said, yeah, we have a boat for you out behind the court, and we're going to take you right out. You don't even have to go across land. It's going to be a boat around, and then we're going to get you to safety. And I said, okay. And we finished the second half. You know, at the end of the game, I had about 500 people come up and give me their name and address for that Bible course. They wanted that Bible course. I'm glad I stayed. I took all those. I stuffed them in my pocket. I ran. I got in that canoe. And Emma Legaspi ran and got in, the, in front of me, facing me, and we started pulling out. And he looks at me, and he says, Tom, we're still alive. And I said, yeah. And he said, Tom, I want to know what you know. He said, I want to know because I don't want to go die and not know what's going to happen to me. And in that canoe, <laughs> the rascal comes to Christ. And it was worth the whole trip out there. And it was worth learning how to play basketball. And it's worth anything else that you have to go through. When you see a soul come to Christ in a country where they don't hear it sometimes, they want to know Christ. Give what you have. You're getting a good education. You're getting fantastic teaching. Don't leave it at that. Take it and use it. Give what you have and see God bless it and multiply it wherever you go. Let's pray.